Welcome back to Deep Thoughts, ladies and gentlemen. Today I thought we would talk about aliens again. Because it's uh, it's definitely inside the conversations of a lot of people. And I just watched two, two series, which are like five or six episodes on Netflix. One was called Encounters, where they actually went back to some of this situations I've talked about on this show. I don't even know if there was one that I hadn't covered. And then one generalization, one about aliens in general, which is more foo-foo. And then I watched probably three episodes, three or four episodes of um, Skinwalker Ranch, which is, wow, it's a horrible show. I mean, it's like <laughs> these guys make up shit and they, uh, it's, it's the epitome of makeup reality shows never get anything on film it's of any interest they film a shooting star and say it's a ufo i mean it's it's bad but even in between all the the fake narratives that keep the show going there are still some interesting issues that we're going to get into here because the big question that we touch on every once in a while inside the episodes if not all of them is the intent of the observers that seem to be here. Now, I am convinced that they exist, 100%. Now, where exactly they come from? Oh, boy, you know, you've got all kinds of stories where, you know, the, the ones from Roswell said they're from a particular constellation in space and all that kind of stuff. Well, whatever. It really doesn't matter physically where they come from unless they were interdimensional and coming from a very spiritually wild place, either spiritually positive or spiritually negative. There is, for me, very little signs that they are trying to do us any harm. But over the last five years, they have, they, I would say just the collective of humanity, has suggested some things that are just out of this world. I mean, things that with all the other previous encounters that people have had, you would think that this would have come up at least symbolically with the rest of these people's experiences. Now, just to recap real quick, because this could be someone's first episode. I think I've had two experiences. One I really believe was real with a gray and it had to do, I won't tell the story again, you have to watch old episodes, but it involved a gray around Christmas telling me what a present was, and I was 23 years old. No, actually, I wasn't even that, I was 21 years old, freshly 21, and I, I thought the present was something else. When he showed it to me and said what it was, which was origami paper, I thought it was an album, didn't know origami paper was square. Sure enough, that's what it was, and I had no clue what the stuff looked like, or that it would be anything in my collection of presents. Uh, I was kind of bummed it wasn't a, what I thought it was, which was more custom limited LPs out of New York City for various musicians that I liked at the time. I mean, I really was. I was kind of disappointed. And the other one was no more than two years ago. That was uh, a couple dudes before I left my house coming into my house and interacting with me. The biggest thing being, I always thought it was extremely hokey 
Anytime ever, anyone ever told the story that aliens have little suction cups on the end of their fingers, just one on each one of their little four fingers, right? Or three. This dude had three, I'm pretty sure, but he could have been using a fourth finger as an opposing thumb. I don't know. I always thought that was stupid. And in this interaction, I put my hand out at night and knowing that they were in my room, having watched basically this, I wanted to describe this a little bit better. A ship landed in my backyard in this vision. I don't, I think it was, I have no reason to not believe it was real because of the utter uh, details that were involved in this. Usually in dreams, uh, I don't know, they're kind of there and they morph and they change. And if you stare at them, you don't get a really good look at anything that your mind doesn't understand. I was staring at this dude six inches from my face, okay, who's sitting there looking at me and and he was kissing my shoulder, weird thing. But when this thing landed in my backyard, I have these blinds, you know, these horizontal blinds. And you know, in horizontal blinds, you can always see a little bit of light through the blinds. In all the little holes that carry the strings, there was this utter plasma-like lightning light that just just literally went down in a vector into my backyard. You know, my backyard was big enough to put something very small, but I mean... I can't imagine what they would have arrived in that would have allowed them. They were probably three feet, three and a half feet. Did not look like grays. Uh, did not look like anything I've ever heard described. At some point, I will illustrate this for you guys. Maybe I'll illustrate before, but I mean, they had really wild eyes, very flat head. It was very, like, if you looked at them straight ahead, it was like, was it a mackerel fish? It's really wide, but when you look at it, it's really thin, but it was, it was thinner, not thin like paper or anything, probably like maybe six to eight inches uh, front to back. And then the front was probably a good, I don't know, 10 inches with their kind of a kind of a uh, pyramid type head with all these hairs on it. It's crazy. So that was that. And the sounds and the pitter patter. I had a carpet in this uh, hallway. So it was sort of like when they hit the hardwood floor for a split second, I could hear that. And then they hit the hit the carpet and I was like, Oh my God. But when this dude, I I stuck my hand out just to say, look, don't (laughs) like, if you just push your face in my face, I'm going to freak out no matter, uh, because it'd just be so surprising. Put my hand out and this little tiny hand touched my fingers, like three of them. And there was a texture to their skin. And then as, as I pulled back just very lightly saying, Hey, I, I feel you, you know, I'm awake. They knew if they were real as he crawled up his fingers on my fingers, I felt the freaking suction cups. It's back about half an inch or a centimeter or so. And there were these cups. It was crazy. And then it, then they disappeared and it was like normal fingers. And we clasped fingers before I opened my eyes, you know. Super strange. So I'm still debating what the hell I saw. Uh, everything was extremely pleasant. I mean, it was beyond pleasant. This alien was telling me that I was a good dude over and over and over and over again. We had no other form of communication. Like I, I was trying to show him a tattoo on my wrist, which he touched. And I was suggesting that he put a tattoo on this other wrist. I said, just mark me any way you want. Burn me, whatever the hell you want to do. But nothing happened. But then I went to sleep. That was the other thing, because I was in bed. So maybe it's a dream. I don't know. I'm not trying to suggest something that didn't happen for sure. But there are very few dreams in my life that I could draw what I saw. And this dude, I could totally draw his face. Maybe I'll just do that for this episode. I hate saying that because it'll delay the episode, but whatever. 
But we have heard all kinds of different species of interactions, abductions, and I wanted to go through the ones that seem to have a negative effect on humans because of physical interactions claimed by these people. And I am not disbelieving anyone's claim about being probed, about having surgery on their bodies. There's one guy that got abducted, and it it's crazy. He's got a what looks like a little tiny square microscopic microchip embedded in his body with the bus lines going deep inside of his body. It's been x-rayed, it's been photographed, it's legit, it's mechanical, it's not natural, it's a metal inside of his body, and it was utterly inserted in this guy in a way that, what? Do you, how could you do that? I mean, you know, we would create an incision of some sort, and this dude didn't have anything like that. He said, I think he said he was abducted and he was, he found himself inside of a vehicle and this really tall female character with very, he said it had facial features, but not human facial features that kind of come up to him and squeezed his cheek. Like, you know, Hey there. And, uh, then he was put back to where he lived. And that's when he felt something and, and they did the sex ray on him. I've also known of, uh, and seeing the pictures of people that have little clumpy pieces of metal inside their legs and, and extremities that were getting along with this flesh. That was the weird thing. A metal inserted in your flesh has to be a particular type of metal, like titanium, that can be a rod in your leg. But when they did supposedly metallurgy on these pieces, they're like, hey, man, this is not something we we naturally make on Earth. Okay, I've heard... Stories about hypnotists in New York who got into this big sort of, I don't know, I want to say the word cabal with a bunch of other hypnotists and psychologists that were hypnotizing people. And the stories of abduction went to a whole new level. And it was, I reported on this in one of my episodes, I think season one or two, with all the details of the doctor's name and all that stuff at the time. But it was so far-fetched for me that it was like daytime uh, abductions in downtown New York, that they were able to teleport inside the building, grab people, that these people were being forced to allow them to live in their apartments. And no one ever thinks this is special. That's the thing that just blows me away. No one ever gets abducted. And um, I mean, I understand when you wake up, if something, you're on some surgery table or something and you feel fine, but you're still freaked out. Usually human beings, when we wake up from dreams and we're in a paralysis mode, just happened to me the other day, you know, you kind of fight your way to control your body. And I've shared before having several, I mean, I don't even know, probably at least a dozen experiences where I've, I have woke up and I'm in bed, and I feel like someone's over me, and I can't move. And I'm just fighting to gain control of myself. And in one case, I'm embarrassed to say this, um, I at this particular location, this particular time, for whatever reason, I just used to keep my, my peace, as they say, underneath the pillow next to me, just perfect so I could grab it. And I remember I was dreaming this, because this wasn't really occurring, thank God. And I remember dreaming that I was grabbing this and it was just, gosh, I just wanted to freaking turn around and blow this thing away that was, it was controlling me. But when I finally woke up, uh, either that person put me down and, and shook me out to the point it wasn't a one-to-one second correlation. 
but it, I don't think it happened. I think I dreamed it, you know. But you have the alien probing, which is a big one, where people have had all kinds of procedures done to their bodies. It's typically, for some reason, okay, this is, I'm going to go through these and dismiss to you the way I dismiss it to me. So bear with me here. If you are an alien race that has all the superior technology and you can travel however you travel, interdimensionally, across the universe, whatever methodology exists, I don't personally understand what on earth an alien would ever have interest in the colon of a human being. Think about it. I mean, what is it? It's the waste product of what you ate. I mean, are they really concerned about what we eat? I mean, make you throw up. I don't know. Drill your stomach. I, you know, it's mostly bilirubin at the bottom of your bowel. It's your metabolized blood that's it's basically coming out or undigested food. It's, it's whatever. It's going to be very similar between human beings. And so I never could understand that. Now, there's been claims of people having their eggs harvested, their sperm harvested. That makes a little more sense to me if they want to play some games with some DNA from us. Now, why on earth we would ever be awake or wake up in those experiences? I don't know. I've heard uh, stories of a woman who woke up in a spaceship with Grays, and she said that uh, that they went and ushered in this ball of light into the room, and that they were all really happy, and the ball of light went down inside of her body, like through her flesh, and that, she believed, was the soul of her child that she was immediately pregnant with. You know, I'm just, just saying. That one, you know, well, that's not ne- necessarily negative. It's just, that would be a weird... Uh, a version of the Stork story, right? Now, there's also this insinuation that's been around for a long time, since the 40s, when the United States of America started detonating atom bombs. And I know some of you don't think those are real. We know they faked a bunch of footage of the destruction of atom bombs. But for the life of me, you know, Hiroshima... And Nagasaki, I mean, these were single planes doing one giant bomb, and there were tens of thousands of people vaporized. And if it was some sort of carpet bombing of fire bombs, uh, everyone would know that. It would have a completely different story. Why on earth would the people who are being attacked, who are not getting paychecks, who are dying of radiation poisoning and heat exposure, lie for the United States government? They just got conquered by our country. People were watching this from on top of a hill. There's an eight-year-old kid that watched the bomb accidentally. He just looked at the city and poof, you know, 80,000 people get vaporized, right? But the idea is that once man starts playing with the atomic mass of the universe and starts creating explosions, you know, we don't know how to blow up, as far as I know, a planet. We don't know how to blow up a solar system. But what if... That technology is such an easy gateway drug to the next invention that could get us there. And so they're like, wait a minute, you know, you can't play games with, one, the Earth. Because if they had anything to do with orchestrating the life on Earth, then you have a few group of psychotic people who are trying to control that by killing off however many people they want, the whole place. And so there have been a drastic increase of UFO sightings, 
including Over the Capitol Building in Washington, D.C., all filmed right after these explosions start. Then, of course, in 1947, I, I forgot to mention this in my last episode, and shame on me, there's the Puget Sound encounter witnessed by tons of people, which is a, a kind of a coastal inlet into Washington State, which is, for those people who aren't aware, it's the extreme northwest of America. And uh, these these discs uh, that were sort of donut-shaped with a hole in the center come down from this, this little sort of Catalina Island. They got a little island over there. Catalina's off my coast, but up there they have this other island. And these things come down broad daylight, and they're spewing this stuff out of the center. And the, the eyewitnesses said that two of them banged into each other. And when that happened, this stuff that they're spewing down in the water got chaotic, and one guy lost his, his dog, died from the stuff falling on top of his dog, and his son was hit by it and broke his arm. His buddy takes a bunch of photographs, which are eventually confiscated by the authorities. Uh, two or three dudes were on a boat just, you know, a few hundred yards away, and they had men in black visit them almost instantaneously after the event. Well, this guy's in the car trying to take care of his son's broken arm. So very serious situation seen by a lot of people, and we're just supposed to forget it ever existed. And that was just prior to the Roswell crash. Now, the Roswell crash, you know, for those of you who are new, I went off to disprove that it, that was real. And I came out being an extreme believer by disciplining all my research to either the first degree folks or the second degree folks who saw this occur. And there are some interviews out there that no longer exist online. I mean, I seriously, there's one guy in the desert talking about it, and I can't find the rest of the interview where he talked about listening to this alien communicate with him, and it said two things to him. Uh, well, it actually said one thing to itself that he could hear, which was he was very sad that he was here because he wasn't going to be able to get home because that ship was the key. And the second thing was that he looks up at the guy and he says, don't worry, no one's coming to save us. I mean, his two buddies are dead. One's completely a meat pile and the other one is really mortally wounded and dead. And those were the two bodies that were iced down by the authorities, the mortician who sold him the coffins and then went to the hospital. And then a couple of days later, he talks to his female nurse friend who did the autopsy on them. And she sent him, she drew pictures, and she drew the long fingers with little suction cups on the end. Strange. Because apparently those are grays, and all the descriptions are grays, uh, very consistently so. And the thing I saw was not a gray. (laughs) If it was, it was a distant cousin with some Klingon blood in it. But then America starts seeing tons of this stuff and starts talking about it. Now, I want to qualify that because... When I told you guys, my grandmother was born on my dad's side in 1912, and she said that her and her sister, before the end of the decade, before the 20s, they used to see uh, cigars just quietly moving across the Kansas Plains out of Erie, Kansas, which is uh, southeast Kansas. Okay. Now, the other one is that a cigar-shaped sighting, there are... Cigar, literally, like this shaped vehicle, like the one I'm smoking right now, with tapered ends. But that's also the way you could see a disc if it was really large and it was literally kind of more 
edge towards your face, you could be seeing a cigar, but if it turned sideways, 90 degrees, you'd see a disc. So I don't know if my grandmother and her sister saw uh, truly cigar tubular cigar vehicles, which have been reported, or if they were seeing these discs, these UFOs. And at that time, I mean, think about it, it's from 1912, she said about seven or eight years old, so it'd be uh, 1919 to uh, 1920, and just into the 20s, what kind of technology, other than maybe a camera, if someone had it all set up and ready to go, could ever capture the event? So these UFOs, I would think, would have a lot of uh, freedom to fly all over the world at the time, right? Now, the, the trauma that is associated with abductions and sightings is always very relative to the person, right? So you can imagine if someone was extremely religious, it's the 30s or the 40s, and you haven't had a bunch of television shows warm you up to the concept that aliens could be out there and they could be nice, then you're always going to go to that that realm of oh my gosh you know this is uh this is like reality's falling apart for them one of the roswell deathbed confessions it was uh it was quoted that the person who was uh, admitting to their kid i forgot exactly who said this but he said you know cuz the son was like hey well what were they and the father said creatures and he seemed to be utterly terrified now, what we don't, we haven't really spoke about this. I've never heard any show talk about it. It's so, there's so much rich side conversation about aliens, and it's horrible that there's what two thousand hours, if not ten thousand hours, of UFO shows that have been aired on TV, and they never get to this good stuff. It's unbelievable how sterile the narratives are in these shows, which should tell you something. Tell a vision, right? Everything is. If anything's coming through a giant channel, it's been absolutely cleansed for your viewing pleasure and your deep beliefs. But you mean to tell me if you saw a great alien who wasn't doing anything to you and wasn't sending you a message like the kids in Zimbabwe, which we're going to talk about here, because it's in the Netflix special. I couldn't believe it. I'd never heard of the Zimbabwe thing, and it's in the Encounters show on Netflix. You owe it to yourself to see it. I don't really think there's a tremendous amount of uh, super spinny narrative on it. They kind of go back and forth, and we'll talk about that in a second. But you mean to tell me you see a smooth, gray alien. Very smooth. He doesn't have devil horns. He doesn't have Edward Scissorhands or anything. He's in a cool silver suit half the time. Uh, Actually, Zimbabwe, the kid said it was in a black suit, and that has been reported in different locations. So what? You see a gray alien. When I saw the dude that I think I really saw, if there's, if I had to put a bet out there, very calming, you know, very refined being, and it's not big and, and horrible. And then we'll talk about some stuff I saw on the Netflix shows about eight foot ones or higher. But you have uh, a pretty peaceful looking creature. And so I don't quite understand. If you're just seeing one, how freaked out people could get. But maybe they never just see them. Maybe they are in the middle of some, you know, examination or some, you know, rooter rooter up your hoo-ha, right? The other thing, too, is that if you had physical evidence, if you had your backside probed by a machine, I don't care if it's made by aliens or not, the next day, 
either you're going to feel that or you're not going to feel that. And if you're not going to feel it, that means whatever they did, they repaired it or they didn't harm you in any way, shape or form. But if they went in a place that you've never had anything before, I would think that you would it'd be ringing like a bell. And, you know, you could go to a doctor and say, look, man, this was not me doing anything weird. This is like something I got abducted, man. And just get in there and take photographs and start tracing how that happened. You know, there's going to be marks and things of the device that did what it did. Are there, are there tissue samples missing? Is this part of the colon missing? Is it like, you know, whatever, right? I'm yet to find anyone who has a subscription to colonoscopies, right? When aliens show up to missile bases and deactivate missiles, they've even been, well, it's like, what could you possibly suggest from that? They're taking away a super weapon, so it just can't be used. And it, it really makes me think that even if the leaders of the world attempted some psychotic explosion to try and kick off some other, you know, false narrative, that that this unit would be deactivated before it could be detonated. It could probably be transported to a location to do something Dr. Evilish, but before it's going to pop, our friends are going to have watched the whole process and just deactivate it. They don't want to see the world destroyed. Which gets us to the Zimbabwe thing. This is in like 93, 94. A bunch of kids are playing on the playground and... They see a vehicle fly over and land behind some trees. They see that process first. Very important. They see this thing and they see it land. We're talking 60 kids, mixed races. It's a private Christian school. And the kids run around to look at the vehicle. And they said that there, there's, uh, there's different stories, uh, depending on what the kids are focusing on. And, and what I interpret by that, by listening to all their eyewitness testimony is, it depends on when they ran around the trees as to what they saw. There were uh, the, the most consistent part of the story is that there's a gray standing there next to his ship. So he landed and got out pretty quick and was standing there. Now, the ones that I experienced at Christmas time, they had the ability to move very quickly. The one in front of me was in my time, and there were ones, there was one dude running around the room. In a, in a pulse, basically looking at things. And then the bunch over here to my left, which were playing, looking at a puzzle that my girlfriend and I were putting together on a wood table that we also put together and varnished and all that stuff. We're in a beach house. They were moving faster than the student in front of me. It was almost like just blurry. But when they stop, you know, they're, they can see them. And so you can see their form and then poof, 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 poof. It's crazy. So that dude could have gotten out of a ship at that pace, I guess, uh, there's all kinds of claims that they move extremely fast when they want to, especially when they were disarming the nuclear weapons. There was, a, again, a breach from the back of the missile site, and this thing went down inside super fast and messed up all of the guidance systems. But the kids in Zimbabwe said that the dude was wearing a black suit, standing there. One girl walked up three feet away from him, and he... When he looked at them, he was telling them, get this, okay, so think about whether they're good or bad. This particular dude was telling every one of them that looked in his eyes, and they all had the same vision inside their head. It's almost like a mind meld. He said, look, you've got to be careful with technology because you're going to destroy this planet. Now, is he worried about plastic straws? Eh, I don't know. I think he's worried more about the bombs 
that the nuclear era ushered in. What else could be this horrible thing other than maybe weather manipulation and other bigger things you could fry, you know? Now, I have to put this out there because this is in the documentary, and it's weird how it wasn't covered. There's more, there's more things that this thing covered, which we're going to talk about here, which blew my mind, okay? One of them was that there's a guy there who was a little kid who claims that he didn't want to take a test. And the cause and effect of his argument uh, makes no sense to me. He said that he pointed out at a rock, which has always been there, okay? It's still there to this day. The kids were acclimated to this rock being there, right? Uh, and he said, oh my gosh, look there, there's a UFO right there. Oh my, and he starts doing a, a fake panic. And he said that by him pointing at that rock and saying this, that he got 60 kids to believe that a rock that they have seen every single day and play next to is suddenly a UFO, And suddenly they are traumatized to the extent that 30 years later, they're still suffering a PTSD. 30 years later, they're still having problems with their spouses talking about this when it's just a rock in the distance, right? And so this guy was, he has taken the claim, he has made the claim that they're all delusional, that all the kids were delusional, they didn't see anything, and that it was his his little panic story. Really weird. But the guy, you know, when it quacks like a duck and, you know, flies like a duck or whatever, it's a duck. And this guy seems like, I, I do apologize, but it seems like a slime ball to me in this documentary. He has nothing else to say. But supposedly doing that was going to get him out of a test. And that doesn't make any sense to me. So you create a little bit of chaos during recess Okay, outside is dangerous is all you've done. Let's go inside and take a test, right? Makes absolutely zero sense. So, whatever. I think he's probably pissed off he didn't see anything, maybe. Maybe he went inside to take a test, or he went off and hid and did cigarettes on the other side of the building, or whatever, didn't see anything. And so he's bummed, and so he's come up with this thing to take a big crap on everybody. But this is corroborated by folks who... At no point has any of the 60 kids said, you know what? Yeah, the kid's right. It was just a rock and we were all panicking. It, there was nothing there. There's no kid that corroborates his story. Isn't that funny, right? It's sort of like the logic from the uh, Charles Manson's murders. You know, supposedly the Spawn Ranch had all these people indoctrinated to kill people and stuff. And there was 20 people lived there on a daily basis. And three out of the four who did the murders, supposedly, uh, were just the only ones indoctrinated. But when they went to court, they said, oh, no, Charlie was brainwashing this entire Spawn Ranch to believe the same thing. They even claimed there was props and paintings and all kinds of uh, propaganda there. And at no point in court did they bring in one of the other 17 people or more to corroborate, oh, yeah, Charlie said this, and nobody came in and corroborated that crazy-ass story they told in court. So, again, when it doesn't add up, just throw it away, Right. When you see the trauma between two people talking in the same room, uh, the, the losses that these people had in their life, it's, it's significant. I mean, they were significantly disturbed by what they saw. And it wasn't necessarily seeing the craft or seeing the gray. It was this communication that left them with a weird taste. And it's almost as if, and they didn't talk about this, again, call me, I'll give you better questions. 
that it stuck in them, like the guy stuck the thought in them to the point they couldn't get it out. Like a weird PTSD moment. A PTSD is uh, largely a moment that's lost in time due to trauma or having your memory erased from being knocked out by a, an IED. So the, the soldier is living the terror of the moment without any memory of the moment. And when we treat PTSD patients, especially with virtual reality now, we put a headset on them, recreate the event that they lost, and then they could attach their emotions to the event and then flush the whole thing. And there's like over 80% recovery from people using the VR systems to treat themselves. If you have anybody suffering from PTSD, look it up. The military will pay for it. But last time I told the story, I told you about the teacher who told all these kids that they didn't see anything on the day and the week of, right? She has recently sat down and taken another interview. Now, she did an interview uh, 20 years later, 25 years later, and the one I had seen outside of Netflix, and she said, look, the kids, the kids saw what they saw. I know they saw what they saw. But when they re-interviewed her, probably it looks like five years later, she was all, she had a bandage on her face uh, about five years ago for something, probably some melanoma she had taken off, whatever. But they pulled her into a room and she was, looked really nice. And she said, look, uh, she goes, even before these kids said they saw this gray, she goes, I had been abducted at least three times. And so she goes, I completely believe that the kids saw what they saw. And I just didn't want to say anything. And she made a funny comment because she's a little, she's a little, little heavier as a woman, she says, when they were able to lift me out of my house and take me in this craft, she said, I was shocked because I'm so fat. <laughs> I thought that was very uh, humble statement from her. I've never heard such a thing. The idea that someone is abducted and put back on earth should be a telltale sign that, hey, if there was an agenda to kill human beings, then why is everyone getting to come back? You know, there's a lot of survivors of events that uh, supposedly everybody got killed and and they're but they're survivors still. And they're the, they're the group that was actually being exterminated at the moment. It's really interesting. There's a lot of survivors from these moments when everybody was killed, especially young people. And so you got to keep your logic gates on constantly when you hear these stories. But there was a uh, God, there's some I think it's a fake deathbed confession and I think he's doing a service to the agencies that he worked for. And a bunch of you have seen it, and I hate to take a poop on it, but I'm going to. I don't remember the guy's name, but he's reading hes reading a piece of paper. Like, he can't just speak from his mind. But he's supposedly this real deep intelligence agent, and he'd been pulled in. He'd been in that for 50 years. He makes all these crazy claims about stealth vehicles and reaching up and touching, literally stealth tech. I mean, uh, stealth technology, but also hologram technologies if we have hard light holograms come on but he was just all over the place in this little confession it looks like in a hotel or something but he's he's got some flannel shirt on he's got some pretty good hair i think it's complete and utter bs okay but he took a, a recent um it was like a weird trend for about two years that they were suggesting that all these underground tunnels that the United States has built for the contingency of government, which was heavily uh, described in the 17 movement as being places where 
bad human beings take kids and do bad things to them. That I can actually believe. Uh, Will that ever happen? Well, you know, I don't know. But I mean, think about it. If you have a location in the world that no one else get to, you literally can't get to it. There was an island in the the Pacific, or sorry, the Atlantic, excuse me, that got real famous. You could technically fly over that, but supposedly it's all underneath, uh, which I believe, because you just look at the construction of the place and there's doors going into like underground areas, okay. But still, you would still see the planes. You could take photographs of who got out of the planes. It's still a liability. But if you went into some down underground tunnel... Well, geez, you could, your entry point is probably concealed. Uh, getting in is probably extremely difficult. Once you're in, you can do whatever you want. You're in your own little world, right? That I believe. But that whole thing was usurped and pointed at gray aliens. Now, I have insinuated before, and I'm going to continue insinuating until new data comes in, that imagine that you have knowledge that these beings exist and that they're that they're not making contact with man in a way that's very formal. They don't land in uh, D.C., New York, L.A., Paris, Moscow, wherever you live, right, Madrid, London, and get out and say, hey, how you doing? You know, we're, we're the grace. Uh, we have a pretty good R&B gig, and uh, make, make sure you tip your waitress, right? They don't do that. They elusively show up. Uh, their vehicles seem to project a lot of uh, orange light. Uh, it must be the emission wave of whatever's going on their gravity well system right could be could be military but it would be a super duper secret military but let's just say you have a a trafficking problem in the world a bunch of people live off of the trafficking of other people okay and you need as much disinformation as possible on top of that story and what if in the last uh that movement that went on about five years ago. What if that was exposing some isolated but yet very serious situations where these underground facilities were being used for that? And they're like, oh my God, they're on to us. Okay, Army Corps of PSYOPs, we need you to spin up. You're going to go to hell for this. And there's no getting out, right? This is blasphemy times blasphemy. You're going to hide these people. You're going to hide all this crap. And you need to spin up the idea that greys are actually the ones down there doing everything. And this guy in this little confession thing was the one that was trying to ice it down, right? Make sure you you totally believe it, right? I've seen this fucking thing get posted three or four times. It just kills my soul that other human being listens to this bullshit, read off a piece of paper interview. I mean, trust me, if I'm sitting here talking with no script for all the shows, right? You mean to tell me I'm more qualified to be in these agencies than the people that have been trained and and have spent 50 years in it? You can't even speak off the top of your mind? I mean, maybe you got a bullet list of shit, you know, like, okay, stealth fighter, touched it, uh, whatever, right? Nah. This is read this to the camera. It'll be your last act to help the agency, which you're still still loyal to, Right. And you're going to suggest this cover story, which is, he said that he was taken down into these facilities, and he said that, oh, he was he could sleep because he heard all of the torture, screaming, and all that stuff. Well, that I could definitely believe, but I don't think it's great aliens, okay, right? The idea, and it was like all the abduction, all the missing kids in the United States, which apparently is like 800,000 kids in the United States disappear a year, 
And when adjusted for runaways, which is like 12, 13 and up, meaning they could they could get on the streets and find a way to eat and, and stay safe. Underneath that, you have kids that would really struggle, right? It's still the majority of the number. It's over 50% by a large margin. So, okay, so these kids are being uh, hmm, uh, taken away somewhere, right? So you say it's a bunch of great aliens and that we did an agreement in the 50s with these greys to allow them to do this to mankind. You know, mothership. I'm just thinking mothership and little ship, right? Little ships come down and just take the people, bring them up to the mothership. Why wouldn't you want to have all your tools out there, right? I think it's all hocus pocus. I think it's all to cleanse another activity that's going on in the world, perhaps if it's actually occurring. These kids are going somewhere. You know, I remember when Jeb Bush became the governor of Florida, the, the number of kids disappearing in Florida was, I think, higher than all the other 50 states. And it was some ungodly number of kids disappearing. And just, they just vanish, right? And, and every once in a while, I get a little runaway, come back or whatever. But these kids were gone. It was like, oh, that's not in the news. <laughs> that's not like the number one objective of the U.S. military to find out where these kids are. It should be the FBI. It should have a whole nother BI that's all about finding kids. Anyway, back on our subject here. But I wanted to cleanse that away from, I just want to bring up the fact that I think a lot of things are stuck to grace without any uh, plausible logic to it. When we know that human beings are doing very similar things that they don't want to get caught for, Right. What's interesting about the Zimbabwe messaging from the alien to the kids, which is, again, it's very simply described as be careful with technology, you're going to destroy the world. That implies a whole lot of caring about the world, doesn't it? That implies potentially that they have participated in the incubation of the world itself, the care and proper feeding of humans and all the other life that's on this planet. Whether they drop off stuff they found someplace else, or they engineer it, or they found it, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is phenomenal. Don't know. But, you know, again, it's been asserted a thousand times, times a thousand times, which is that if anyone wanted to do us harm, and they had this superior technology over us, it would be so utterly simple for them to wipe us off this place that we are. And yet they don't. Now, the one I had never heard of, which also came up about 2017-ish, at least in my experience, was that they were being associated with demons. I did a whole episode about this. And again, some of these episodes have been taken off by the great censorship organization known as YouTube, a.k.a. Google, a.k.a. Alphabet Agency, right? So makes you wonder. Like, what am I saying that you don't like? I understand some of the stuff, but the idea about the demon th thing is who would, who would suggest, what kind of human being is going to suggest they're demons? Seriously. Is it going to be someone who doesn't believe in demons or someone who believes in demons? Someone who thinks about them all the time. Well, I have written, I mentioned this, this book I was writing in my last episode, The Paradigms of Percep or Perception, right? And that story is about good and evil uh, at, a, at a, an incredibly cosmic level and in humanity, okay? 
And in that, and I was 18, it was probably wrote it from 18 to 22. And I explored for the very first time. I found that by asking questions, it was amazing how many deer eyes I saw when it came to what what is evil. You know, I, I want to just share this. It's not alien related, but we're going to get back to it because I think it. we have to kind of put the paradigm out there that might encapsulate the notion that a gray was a demon. And it seems to be grays only. It doesn't seem to be the reptilian side of things. They're just weird, heartless, big, giant, uh, shape-shifting beings, of course. Hmm. But I remember telling a story about what is evil in my youth group, and I, we must have been in between or something, but one of the guys I was renting a room next to at the time, he was probably in his late 20s, I was uh, 18, and I just said, look, man, you know, there we had just had the 1989, or not 89, we had an uh, earthquake somewhere, and I said, look, what if somebody, you know, uh, there's a building that falls down and people die in the earthquake. And that's obviously a bad thing, but it's also Mother Nature on one level. But I said, you know, one, the, the people that lost family members in that might see it as an act of evil if they were extremely religious and a religious paradigm. But what if one, two of the rescuers meet each other and become husband and wife? And without that building falling, they never meet each other and they never have this say, beautiful family they might create and have all this happiness and joy in their life. So to them, what was evil was positive. And I watched this dude's face and he was like, wow, yeah. And so then the youth minister came in, who turned out to be a pedophile, recently found his wife finally freaking divorced him after he went to jail for two years. <laughs> I thought jail was a good sign that he was guilty, right? Unbelievable. People hang on to things. But he turns to this other dude, he goes, oh, you know, like, you made a good point. What is evil? And da, da, da. And I remember the youth minister not wanting to get in the conversation because it was going to bust the simple kind of Duplo religion that he was trying to espouse because that's as far as he got into religion at the time. He eventually got a Ph.D. in biblical studies. Then he got busted at Paradigm, Pepperdine University uh, with like a, seven girls that were saying, oh, yeah, he did a bunch of stuff to us. So it is my sort of, I guess you could say, uneducated, because I've never talked to anyone in real life that either knows someone or is the person who believes that greys are demons. I'm waiting to be in a room where someone utters that. I'll be like so excited to drill their brain and find out, where did you come up with that, right? Would demons get rid of nuclear weapons? Probably not. Would demons have the ability to visit us anytime they want and make themselves sort of like elusive to us, like my grandmother's seeing them, but they don't come down and just zap her with a, a ray and turn her into a frog or rot her skin or whatever. Uh, demons got a principal definition of existence, and its purpose is like a little Cthulhu, right? Demons are there to undo life. They're there to undo happiness. They're thriving on all of the misfortunes of man in the, in the symbolic, fabled existence. I'm not getting that from everyone who seems, it seems like the higher the intelligence of the person who interacts with aliens and all the abduction stories has less and less negative things to say about them. Now, in this Netflix special, they actually have, over in Great Britain, I can't remember exactly where, they're naming all the towns and I didn't go look them all up, but essentially there was a hotel it was purchased by this family. It was all run down. Actually, it was a castle. Then they, they refurbished it into a hotel. 
And there was a point where this was in the press quite a bit over there where they were seeing craft everywhere. And I forgot to mention it in my last episode where I was talking about this, but I had already seen it. But this one guy took took the camera crew out, and, and he was very believable, in my opinion. He's like, look, man, he goes, I was out here, and he's showing you exactly where he was standing and where the craft was. And he says, look, man, this dude came out that was very tall, very, very tall. And he said that he had no face, which I've never heard that ever said anywhere ever. Like, I've never seen a drawing of such a thing. I don't know if it had such a, a minimized face that he from far away didn't see any eye sockets or anything but apparently there's another farmer that was a livestock farmer or you know livestock uh, cattleman sheep and all this other stuff and he he and his entire family said that they at one point were having sightings and they're looking at them and they were really terrified they were like man we just want this to stop and they wanted more government involvement to stop this like put people on our land like you know get this to end and that's not quite what you would do if you're Whitley Strieber making money off writing books about it, right? No, 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 I'm good. I'm up. In, I'm good in upstate New York where you can't see anything happen. But they said an alien had come up to the window and was so tall that the waist and the legs were in the bottom window and the head was in the window on the second floor. And that two different people at the same time had seen sort of the, the reveal of this alien. I have never heard any story about aliens uh, being that tall. Uh, The female aliens in Whitley Strieber's work are about seven feet in beige, where the males are more gray and about four feet. And then he also has this three-foot race that I've never heard anyone else talk about, which is supposedly the really tough muscle race that wears a helmet. He says, very similar to the World War II helmets the Brits wore, where it looks like a like a dish on top of your head, right? And he said they would come in the room and grab him and move him outside to this netted chair, and then the chair would go up into the vehicle, and he'd have all of his experiences, right? I think it's just interesting. I mean, we have the Internet now. When Whitley Strieber was kicking out his books, which I think was Communion, Transformation, I think Aftermath or something like that, it, uh, probably that last one wrong, but, he was writing that without the internet. Now we have the internet and tons of like private clips and all kinds of claims. And it's just interesting when someone sees something that no one else had ever seen. Is it that this one race only comes down one time and visits one guy or these little guys only come out during his abductions for some reason? Sounds a little weird, right? A little far fetched. I mean, just the odds, right? But the idea is the compassion of these aliens, right? They seem to make people feel, I think, on average, minus guys with weird confessions, which are all over the map, most people come away from it with at least a benign or positive uh, feeling about it, even though, I think it was Dan Aykroyd that said he went to a convention that had a ton of people in the room, like over 300 people, I think is the way he said it, who had claimed to be abducted. And he said that he was walking, he'd done his thing and made everyone laugh. And then he's walking out of the room, but he turned around and he goes, hey, I just have a question of all of you in this room who have experienced this. 
how many of you would not mind if it happened again? And he said 50% of the people raised their hand on average. Of course, they have family members that are with them that did experience this. But then he goes, of you, those of you who got abducted, who would you not like to have this happen again? He goes, roughly about another 40% raise their hands. That's very telling. That's very, very interesting. If they were telling a fib, then he what he did was a brilliant thing. He gave the positive first before ever letting them know there was going to be the negative question second. Because you could easily put your hand up if the negative went first to keep a cover on your... St- oh, no, I wouldn't want that to happen again because it never happened. But these people got the positive first and the negative second, which for me was a brilliant move. It was probably just a mistake on his part, just serendipitous that he did it that way. But it's brilliant because there were people that said it was terrifying. Terrifying to the extent they didn't want to have it happen again. I think that's a, that's a big deal. We need to pay attention to that, right? I think those people experienced whatever they experienced um, based on the overwhelming evidence of sightings that seem to be very consistent over decades. You know, we're talking about a hundred years of recorded history. Okay. I think that a lot of these stories, uh, aren't just fiction. I think these people are really, uh, recalling events that will be uh, similar to a PTSD situation. They have trauma related to this and they can't get rid of it. Now the school teacher, from Zimbabwe, who eventually say, hey, look, I, I had several events happen to me prior to the kids seeing what they saw. She claimed that uh, at least the second visit, they said, well, we want to know, do you want to come with us? Because we'll, we'll take you with us. And she said, no. And they came back a third time and said, this is it. We're going away and we won't see you again. So You know, this is your last chance to come with you. The invite's still there. And she said no. And she claimed, you know, it was uh, that she felt like her purpose was to really affect these kids in a good way through the education system at the school. I don't know if she's still there or not. But that's always been very interesting to me. My mom told me once when I was nine years old, she, she actually told me once, she said, I just want you to know if we had something on TV was about aliens. And she said, uh, I just want you to know if I ever get visited by an alien and they said, do you want to come with me? I'll go with them. And I thought that was very traumatic as a kid, kind of like, oh, well, I probably would too, but you're my mom. You can't go anywhere. And I mentioned that to her in the last five years. Said, oh, I never said that. I would never leave you. And I'm kind of like, well, I wouldn't have made it up, lady. It was not exactly the most positive dreams that night. You know, that like my mom, I mean, I don't know if she'd tell me because she I already had experience, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know. It's like, oh, well, is his mom getting visited? Which is kind of funny how that works, right? It's funny. Parents have such selective memory sometimes. It's really bizarre. Now, what's fascinating about my own first experience, and I, I don't know if I've put this on point yet, but since we're here, obviously my first experience, eh, first and second, if the second was real, then it was very positive, just very different than the other one. This little dude was making sure, because he said, Am I, are you going to be all right? And I said, oh, I guess, you know, I was kind of in the middle of a conversation. I was like, I was waking up. My consciousness was coming too. And I said, but no one's going to believe me. And that's when he said, 
what would make them believe? And I said, I don't know. And so that's when he reached down between my legs, pulled this thing up, which I was sure it was a 12-inch LP, blah, blah, blah. It's origami paper. And I'm so preoccupied with the amazing thing that it was this stuff I'd never seen before in my life. My girlfriend got it for me because we were watching Blade Runner, and I was saying, oh, I'd love to learn how to do that someday, knowing nothing about it whatsoever. And she used that little clue to go get this paper out of L.A., So, but the dude was trying to help me prove that he was there and that I really saw him. If this, if this is a hundred percent legit, strange. And the other thing, you know, I have to preface it with, and I do every once in a while is that, and this goes along with Dr. Greer, which I don't know if I believe that guy or not, you know, I want to trust me. I want to believe what he says. But Mr. Greer's, uh, Dr. Greer's whole uh, shtick is that, look, you have to think about them because he said he had an experience at 17. I didn't hear that until recently. Hmm, kind of strange. At 17, he had an experience. But he said, look, you have to call to them because they're always there. They're always above the world. They're always on the planet. And you can basically send messages to them saying you're interested in communicating. And if possible, they'll come to you. All right, and you have to think positive thoughts. You you got you can't be one of these like, come on, man, I'll shoot you in the face. You know, you can't be one of those guys, right? But I was reading the book Communion to my girlfriend at the exact time that this was happening. We we're probably about thirty-five pages from the end of the book when it was starting to get spooky. And it, you know, I'm just thinking in my head. You know, I've thought about this several times. I don't think I've ever vocalized it, but I was starting to get freaked out because Streber was talking about a moment in his apartment where time started passing really fast. It was daytime when he got home, and all of a sudden he goes to his kitchen, and he looks around, he says, I think he said he saw one in his house, and then all of a sudden it's two hours later, and he's trying to run to his car, and it was very dramatic, and he's written movies like Cat People, and he's a very accomplished author. author. So I always kind of blew that off as like, eh, whatever, he's making money. Good for him. He's definitely entertaining you, man. I'll tell you what, his book Majestic is the most entertaining book he's ever written. And I don't think anyone even knows it exists. It's just like a Whitley Strieber Majestic, a little paperback book. I got out of the grocery store and read it like probably four times. And then I recommend it all around the office. Dudes bought it. I even bought copies for him because it was five bucks or whatever. So I'm handing it out and people were like, oh my God, this book's amazing. It's all about the Roswell crash and the Majestic Project, investigating it. It has the first blow by blow of the autopsy of one of these grays. It's very well written. I'll put it that way. But imagine I'm reading this book and I'm getting freaked out. And so let's just say for whatever reason, my frequency is good. You know, like, like they can hear me and they're like, Oh gosh, he's reading about us. And that's cool that he's getting to know us through this uh, maybe piece of fiction or whatever. Maybe Whitley did have a one experience. My, my thought is that he probably had one experience if he had any. And then he just wishes it would continue like the whole E.T. Um, agent that came to see E.T. when he was all white. You know, he was like, man, I used to I saw this dude when I was a kid and I just want to know if it was the same guy. And Elliot's going, you know, he's crying on the body and all that stuff. So imagine right around the time that I'm getting into the sort of crazy nature of this one experience in a fictional book, maybe they're straightening it out. They're coming in going, no, look, we don't do, we don't do that stuff. We don't, 
advance time on people. We don't freak you out. If we came down and you freaked out, we're out of there in two seconds. Uh, but we'll we'll kind of evaluate you beforehand and make sure you're least likely to have an experience like that. Now, there have been, uh, this is unrelated to intention, but all of the sightings where they happened in the 40s and 50s where people felt very ill and people got burned by the propulsion systems. I have a very, very hard time believing that these propulsion systems, and this is one of my contingencies with Puget Sound, I don't doubt that this occurred. I don't understand them having a spout down the center ejecting stuff unless it's literally like, um, it doesn't make any sense because there was actually a photograph in the newspaper of what this stuff looked like, and it looked like aluminum when you hit it with a frequency and it starts to kind of twist and turn, you know, which is for that time in 47, uh, I'm sure someone had done it because electricity existed and aluminum existed at a, at least a laboratory level. I don't know if it was aluminum, but people had definitely done this. But think about the aliens that, you know, tend to show up in these remote areas. It's always frustrating if you live in a more populated area that you you can't really assume that living in a populated area is ever going to allow you to communicate with them because it's a it's an exposure liability for them getting close to you to do anything with you whatsoever. The beach house thing for me made sense because it was I was three houses in from the actual sand and I could see them you know landing out there and then moving in. But I truly think that why would they pick uh, any particular human being in general outside of just flying by and you're waving at them? There was a, I think it was another African, or no, it was South America, I think. It was a, a preacher that had a group of people sort of in a mission out in the jungle, and they said this craft shows up and it had a bunch of people standing on top of it that looked very human, and he said that everybody was there, and it stayed there for a, three hours or something. It was a very long sighting. I don't know why. Nobody has any cameras at the time. But they start waving at him, and he said that they wave back. And, you know, it's like, you know, I, I try to parse people's claims with, are you the type of person to make a claim? And if you are, then you're good at what you do, right? You continue to make claims, it wouldn't be just one sighting. It'd be a lot of sightings, I would think. I think it's phenomenal that someone would make a claim, get publicity, and then give it up. Either they're freaked out about the publicity, which means they should crack under pressure a little bit in their testimony about what happens. They should seem a little unsure. If they're making it up, then boy, they better have a good memory to commit what they saw. Because if you see something with your eyes and you're, you're really seeing it. Depending on how fast objects move in your eyesight, right? There's the perception. But let's just say something happens slow enough that you can see it occur. And it's a, just a threshold-busting moment for you. You've never seen this kind of thing in your life. Your ability to subtract that out of your memory becomes very difficult. You see it, and that's it. That's why this intelligent agent having to read it off a piece of paper is just absurd. And, you know, there's no questions for the guy. You know, if someone's filming a dude talking about all this technology and all these alien dumbs and stuff, it's like, 
All right, we're going to ask you some questions, bro. Finish your little uh, recital there, and then uh, we're going to drill you to see if you're full of shit. But no one ever does because they're making money off the video or they're trying to push it out. Now, the, on, the, on the subject of aliens being good or bad, there's the countless stories, and I mean there are countless stories out there, and some I believe, but very few do I believe, for real, that they have actually established contact with major governments in the world, and there's some sort of exchange program of knowledge and communication. And just imagine, the, we, we Hollywood things too quickly in our minds. We're like, oh, well, they're just buddies, and they speak the same language, and it's just like, here's a schematic for a UFO, good to go, and there's a sample one for you right there. Hey, man, no problem. I seriously, seriously doubt it moves that quickly. Imagine a creature that, that communicates, you know, and I know there's the telepathy thing too, but there was one engineer that was, had become a farmer and they had, was, I've mentioned this interview time and again, he was sitting on a, a outside, there's literally combines going in the, in this field off to his right. He's got like a, you know, plastic hat on, you know, like a Walmart hat or something on. He's just, and he seems annoyed that he's being interviewed about the whole thing, but he claimed to be a back engineering guy working for the government many decades before this interview. And he was frustrated about all of the Hollywooding of these aliens. And you've, I've never seen anyone take such a, such an attitude. Like he was so really annoyed by the fact that the, the idea that these things only communicate through telepathy. He said that they communicate like parrots. He said, we just call them parrots. And he goes, yeah, and the guy's like, what for? And he goes, well, we would say something in English, trying to understand a component in the ship. And then they would simply repeat exactly what we said to them back. And it took hours for them to understand the question. And then once they understood the question, this one dude out of a group of four, three of them are, are, sequestered away by choice, by their choice, the one would go over and talk to the three, yada, 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 and come back and then try to communicate. So imagine trying to understand each other's language. He also got um, annoyed by the fact that he says, uh, they're all gray. And he goes, these dudes weren't gray. He goes, they have pinkish skin. He goes, it looks like it has like psoriasis or something. It looks like it's like flaky and weird, but it's not. It's just the way it looks. And he says, it's kind of rough to the touch. And he said, you know, we have one person in our group that talks to the one person from their group, and that's it. There's no, everyone running up to this dude going, hey, what's going on, you know? So he added a tremendous amount of clarity. I got to find this interview somewhere. It was probably in maybe Greer's package of interviews, but this was one of the best I've ever seen where I felt like I, at, the inter, at the end of it, he, he wasn't going after all of the PSYOP things, and it wasn't hearsay. He was saying it personally. He was talking about, you know, I'll just share with this uh, one more time, in this video anyway. He said, you know, the, he goes, we found out that a lot of their mechanisms were so um, primitive that uh, we were thinking to be something super sophisticated. He says, the thing that keeps the ship balanced as he goes right inside the center of the ship they have this hook piece of steel it's beautiful it's like elven 
sort of you know craftsmanship and he says it just hangs on this thing and he goes when the ship starts tilting this thing is obviously swinging out from where it's supposed to be and that tells the ship to swing back into place he also explained that the need for fiber optics uh, he said look you know their fiber optics are not like our fiber optics he goes well you take one of their wires out and it's got light in it he goes we could never figure out how they put light in it so it appears that the alien technology was blocking a constant light, whereas we are the inverse. We're putting light in and making sure it bends around corners to get to the other side. But he said that because this ship is so sensitive to ethereal winds, you can't run an electron-based computer system inside the UFO because it would just destabilize the entire mechanism that is the gravity well and the antimatter engines potentially make this thing work. He also said, um, I'm remembering one other cool thing, that he just had a different spin on everything. He said, look, we were sending out pieces and parts of alien bodies, uh, technology to various skunk works outfits to figure this stuff out. And he said, they got night vision, not because we got a night vision piece of equipment out of the ship, but because when we autopsied one of the dead greys, he goes, we took their eye lens that goes in front of their eyeball he says, there's a real eye behind this black cover that you see. And he goes, I don't know if he said it was genetic. I think he said it was genetic. But he goes, they have this basic shield over their eye. And he said that um, when looking through the shield, he goes, wherever we put this at night, we can see things in the dark. And he goes, that gave us the, the understanding that if we could simply capture different frequencies of light, we could start seeing in the dark. Boom, night vision. Again, it's not a one-to-one correlation. It's more of an inspirational, oh gosh, yeah, we never even thought about that. Boom, they find the technology or the inverse equivalent, right? But it, I think it's unnerving for most human beings to think about any alien race establishing contact with a government. Imagine how addictive that could be for an intelligence agency if it's real. Okay, so we have all these UFOs out there the Greys have made contact mistakenly through the Roswell crash. We actually have one that's alive, and they say he lived like 1953, somewhere in there, and he died of some unknown illness that just got him. But let's just say you're paying attention, and you're the government. You're stealing people's photographs. You're stealing people's information forever. And then, of course, telling the people who saw it that they didn't see it when person telling them that never saw it either. I mean, it was just nuts, right? Imagine, imagine most of us in this world have never experienced seeing something absolutely astonishing and having some creep come up to you who wasn't there telling you that you didn't see what you saw. I mean, can you imagine the cognitive dissonance required to swallow that one and to keep quiet because they're, they're threatening you with all kinds of demise if you, if you do say something. And I, I believe that they're uh, very serious about those threats. But you have other ships that don't match other ships. And so it might be very easy to, to suggest in a, in a conference room, well, that may be a different race. So let's figure out what triggers them to feel comfortable with us. Let's build a place where they can land and we can have conversations because they're invited. Maybe they even get some psychic people. Maybe they get some people who can meditate in a desert and bring them down. 
and then we can have communication and they have to make sure never violate any aggression codes you know don't ever you know, bring guns out and soldiers arms but just like close encounters imagine imagine uh it's funny i met a kid the other day it was in his 20s and he was into role playing he was into all kinds of movies and he had never seen in close encounters i just looked at the kid and i said look go watch it I said get in a place where no one bothers you and just watch it because you're in for a ride man but the you know the finale of this film is mothership coming down behind Devil's Tower and communicating with the impromptu built military base, which now we have Area 51, which was around when this was filmed. But you build a place out there in Groom Lake, and it's safe for them to land and, and discuss things, right? So now you're luring down other races. Hmm. Well, we've seen Star Trek, right? There's... Uh, Vulcans that have one agenda, there's Klingons that have another, there's Romulans, and on and on to the break of dawn, right? Well, let's say you get in contact with a much more aggressive group that has a different belief system. One of the, uh, what was it, the, the new Star Trek reboots by J.J. Abrams, uh, I think were some of the worst Star Trek movies I have ever seen in my life. But Fringe was great. He did a great job with Fringe. If you haven't seen Fringe, the show... Go get it and rent it and watch it from front to the front to back, man. It's wonderful. But the last one that was uh, co-written by Simon Pegg, who had the narcissistic need to prelude the movie in the theater with, "Hi, I'm Simon Pegg. I wrote this film," and it was like the worst script that has ever been published in the last fifty years. I mean, it was awful. Redefined all the characters. Really strange. You couldn't say the word lass or lassie enough in this thing. But there's one cool thing about this movie. I mentioned it once before. The alien was confronted by humanity. Uh, there was one guy. He said, you know, why do you feel like you need this? Because it's something about a super weapon and, and holding humans in these cages. It was so boring. It was unbelievable. It's one of those movies that if you watch it, will you pay me? Do I get like 20 bucks back from the rental service if I watch this movie? But the alien looks at him and he says, look, he goes, you're weak. Look at all this machinery you got. You're weak. And weak races get wiped off, off the planet. Now, we assume, I don't think unrightfully so, that if a society gets sophisticated, peace is sort of the goal. But now, what if you got a primitive race that steals technology, and I'm just sci-fiing here on you, but, and somehow you get the horde coming after you? Some autistic race that just understands technology, they just see it and they understand it, or they can steal it, or whatever happens, a ship lands and they just look inside and go, I understand, and then they start building them and they start invading the universe, and they're not good. I think the world would be an extremely different place if that sort of agreement was occurring. But again, you have those underground stories, right? But those are pointed at the Greys. Now, Dr. Greer's, uh, was a 2001 Disclosure Project uh, press conference. You had a guy in there that said, uh, oh, man, I, I've, I've seen evidence of up to 27 races. And this British woman, I believe, said, well, oh, yeah? What do they look like? And you saw on this guy's face the coast-to-coast AM BSing uh, mechanism come off his face because he, he just literally turned white. He knows he was full of crap. He just wanted to say something because he's like, I'm important too in the room, right? 
And his answer was, I think he mentioned maybe mantis. I think mantis is gray because the head of a, of a gray looks like a mantis. It's very, very angular and very stripped down. It's very basic, right? But he goes, oh, well, a lot of them look like us, which we've heard that. We've heard that from the, I forgot who the French guy is who started a whole religion based on his sighting. Um, I think it was, uh, I think Greer had said he'd seen human species. The guy in the woods that got pulled up and his friends saw him get, you know, abducted and he was gone for like three or four days or whatever it was. He said he talked to Nordics. So we definitely have, but again, you know, the Nordic that captured that guy, again, I talked to a guy who was just had finished interviewing him in the last year, like three months ago or something, which today would be four months ago. And he said, you know, the dude said, look, every time his story is told on TV, they miss what he actually said, which is that he was, uh, and this is in some of the series on Netflix, but they did miss this one thing. And he goes, the one thing I kept telling them that no one seems to care about like they don't care about the truth, he said, is the Nordic dude was telling me that during the process of discovering him and beaming him up, that they had hurt him. And he said that he had a little robot character over to the side, and the Nordic guy was giving commands in a different language to this robot, and it was doing operations on his body, fixing him up. My thing is like, okay, Imagine you had uh, an injury, like I got an injury on my shoulder. Uh, when I, to, truth be told, uh, I was a breakdancer in the 80s, and one of the times I went down on this uh, crappy cardboard mat, it was concrete underneath, and I was not jiving with the ground very well, and I busted out my shoulder. I got all these pieces in my shoulder. But now imagine I get pulled up into this vehicle, and the dude's fixing me because maybe he hurt my ankle or whatever. Now... My question is, while you're there, uh, why don't you just fix the dude all the way up? You know, he's got a bum eye, he's got bad uh, eyesight, he's got, uh, I don't know, growth on his face or whatever. Wouldn't you just clean up the whole thing? Because you can't, you know? But I've never heard that. I've never heard someone, other than the Greer, um, one of the Greer documentaries, they claimed that, uh, and this is supposedly witnessed by this dude and his best friend, I've mentioned it once before, they were at this camp out, and what I think Greer has people meditate in the desert and then way off in the distance, they see lights flying in the sky. Nothing ever comes over and lands. I mean, you're talking about the most equipped human beings on planet Earth seeing aliens. It would be the perfect place to land and say, hey, what's going on? Let's uh, let's get out of this U.S. military intelligence agency relationship. And let's start communing. And by the way, turn the cameras on. Let's get this going. Never anything like that. So I think those are drones way off in the distance because they're always so far away, you can't see anything. But you also don't see them. I don't think his documentaries have any footage of them doing 8,000 mile an hour, you know, flyaways and stuff. But there was a dude that came and he was deaf. And so he needed these really intense hearing aids for the, for the get together. And on... One particular day, they were taking photographs at night at Ronick's camp, and this apparition was in the photograph around him, and Greer was like, oh, yeah, that's the healer. I'm like, whoa, how many times have you met this guy, dude, that you just know his name, right? So the dude goes to breakfast the next morning, not realizing he didn't put his hearing aids in, and he could hear perfectly. 
And the guy was interviewed and his best bud was interviewed. He's like, yeah, he goes, I, I can vouch for the fact that this guy can't hear without those things. And he can't even hear very well with those buds in. And this dude was interviewed. He was sobbing, man. He was like, I can't believe it. I can hear now. Well, that's, if that's true, my God, we've got a piece of evidence that is like beyond most evidence that has ever been captured. But why isn't that in the news? Like, my God, a guy got his hearing back. Let's talk to his audiologist who gave him the hearing aids. Let's talk about that. Let's bring him to the doctor and run a huge one hour special on this guy. Dude's hearing is fixed by alien. Here's the photograph of this weird apparition doing it at a, at a Dr. Greer get together. Think how much money Dr. Greer would make if, if people thought if they went out in the desert, they could get something healed. Like extraordinary claims and the extraordinary evidence. This guy's supposed to be walking evidence. Well, let's talk to him some more. You get to see a little portion in one episode of this thing. It's like, what? It doesn't make any sense, people. Like, that's why I have a problem trusting the content. The guy sobbed. He looked like he was really telling the truth, and he didn't have him in his ears when he was talking to the camera. But that's miraculous. It's a miraculous moment. It surely doesn't mean they're trying to harm anybody. So let's talk about Skinwalker Ranch a little bit. Because this is where you get sort of the cattle mutilation oddities. Now, this Skywalker Ranch has been... It was it was one ranch, and then it's been sold several times. It's in Utah. It's in a really bizarre patch of land. If you look at the land, what's funny is they film this land, which is essentially it's like normal flat Kansas plains, and then all of a sudden you get these rock, um, you know, uh, protrusions, which Utah is known for that, right? But this one is like it goes up to a plateau that's maybe uh, 25, 30 feet up, and then they plateau out, and it's really rough on top bunch of busted rocks. I don't know if it was a mining operation at one point. But this is where the cattle mutilation thing really took off. And they showed a lot of photographs. I haven't finished this yet, but it definitely has like the full eye socket pulled out, the mouth pulled out, the reproductive organs are often stolen, the colon's cut out. There's never any blood anywhere. Uh, during, I guess, first season, they had a cow that died after they were shooting rockets, uh, little tiny, you know, rockets you can buy at the hobby shop. And it was freaking out all of the cows, man. I mean, why do you think a sheep can herd cows and cattle? Uh, I mean, sorry, a sheepdog, right? Because they just bark, 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 and these things just run around and, and go in the other direction. So they were shooting rockets into the sky, pretty large ones, to do some tests of the atmospheres and magnetic signatures in the area. And it's, you know, it's going, and it's going up in the air. And of course, these cows are going to run. They play it off like it was, well, I don't know why the cows aren't watching. You know, it's like, does anyone here know anything about cows? You know, unbelievable. But now one of the cows goes in the corner and falls over and dies. So they pick up the carcass and they do what they normally do, which is drive it out to a remote area, dump it out there where it's accessible to all the wild creatures out there and usually they just pick it apart and it's over but nothing over the course of a year did any major damage to it there's no teeth marks on the bones they still had a leg quite a bit of the calf or the heifer was um still wrapped in its muscle tissue just rotted you know down dehydrate i should say now i don't know where and when i got this clarification but it's been one that stuck with me and it makes a lot of sense United States detonated a tremendous amount of nuclear bombs all up and down the West 
area, the inland west area of the United States, right? In fact, people don't realize it, but Groom Lake, where Area 51 is, there's a tremendous amount of explosions north of that facility. And then, you know, we have the, the, the association with John Wayne dying of cancer associated with acting in these regions after these explosions and that maybe he ingested the dust and got himself, you know, lethally exposed to that. I think he also smoked cigarettes. So, you know, anything to keep the cigarette industry safe is usually how Hollywood works, right? But what I was told was that when they realized they had just exposed America to a tremendous amount of radioactive fallout, which is essentially pulverizing mass in such a way that you destabilize the atoms and then they're floating around, and then if you get it on you, it will potentially cause cancer. Even if it's a short life for the stuff that lands on you, it does damage and can systemically cause cancer. Of course, you breathe in your lungs, it gets deeper inside your system. But again, according to Galen Windsor, that the uh, all the fallout actually sizzles away pretty darn quickly. In fact, everything radioactive sizzles out very quickly if you know how to spread it out instead of storing it in drums where it actually maintains all of its toxicity. It's atomic toxicity. But I was told by, by some source out there, not to me personally, but something I watched that made, just clicked in me, that the U.S. military, knowing that they've exposed the land to all this radioactivity of which they would be liable to the trillions of dollars in damages, obviously they're going to whitewash all of their responsibility. It's for the greater good, man. But they need to sample at some point the radioactivity that's still in the land. Again, according to Galen Windsor, it's tough. It's tough to uh, to keep something radioactive because it is a tiny particle that is sizzling out of existence. That's why it's ejecting its its electrons. There's not much left once you exude everything that you are. Okay. But if you want to get take a sample, you find a calf or a heifer that's been eating the grass off the ground, and then what happens? They eat it with their mouth. They digest it through their system, and they excrete it out the back. Well, you want to know things, right? You want to go for all of the heavy mechanical pieces of the human body where the apertures of blood flow, the vascular system, turns into one of the tiniest little tubes that could potentially harvest a a radioactive atom, okay? So you take the eyes out because that's a very delicate system that is very hard to replace once it goes bad, right? Now the mouth, you want to take all the mouth tissue out because that's going to have prolonged exposure from eating the ground. Then if you take the anus out, you can find the differential and exposure between the mouth and the butt. And it's this is how much of that, if it goes down 10% or down 50% or 80%, then the body of the creature is absorbing that and not letting it go. Reproductive organ? Well, think about it. You want to know if this thing can have kids. You check out the eggs, you check out the sperm, whatever you got. And you check to see if it's damaged. Now, as far as the blood being gone, I don't know. I mean, that would be a hell of a uh, hell of a process to get the blood out of a cow. I mean, that's going to be quarts and quarts and quarts of blood, uh, I think. I mean, you can tell me, but I think it's far more than a human being. And you're going to have to have a place to store it. 
So you can take it back to a lab and literally take a look at it. But think about it. If you could get the blood out of a cow, if you're studying its radiation exposure, that's great. I mean, that's the stuff that's being created constantly in the body. And it'd be great to just have that suspended somewhere where you can test it. The dilution of the radioactivity in the blood. How much is going into the muscle tissue? How much is going into the fat? How much is going into the bone? Now, I have an uncle that's been in the cattle business I think pretty much his whole life since his 20s. He's still in it to this day. And I have never heard him talk about, you know, cows getting, um, you know, radioactive two heads like uh, fallout or something weird like that. He's never talked about that. We did drill him pretty hard when the cows froze to death in southwest Kansas, you know, froze standing up. But he's sort of at that age where he's not a conspiracy guy whatsoever, so he's kind of just blowing it off with whatever the news said. He's not one of them by any means. He's definitely a, he's a, flu, he's a blue blood, if you know what that means. And I don't mean the European oligarchy. Is He hasn't uh, disturbed his blood with a regiment that was debuted to us a couple of years ago. But within the Skywalker Ranch storyline, you have uh, an old man that owned it before, his name was Junior, but all the pictures of Junior, he's a very uh, elderly man, but he was a tough mofo from everything I could tell. He was one of those farmers that he used it so he didn't lose it, man. But he had a sheriff buddy of his who was quite a bit younger and is still alive to this day who came onto the ranch to answer some questions and tell what he kind of knew about what this old guy Junior had experienced because Junior started acting for in terms of what the normal public thought was normal he started being behaving really weird and it was all about protecting himself from what he called the visitors and he told this sheriff guy because the sheriff was like man why is everything locked around here and he goes because I, I got visitors and I need to protect my stuff and he said a couple different stories uh, one of them he was missing three heifers and they looked all over and they're, they're riding around on horseback trying to find these things. Thinking they just kind of got spooked and went off someplace where they need to be rounded back up. Couldn't find him. Finally comes back to his shed by his house, which I think doesn't exist anymore. But he said that they heard some noise and realized that they need to open this up, take a look. And he says they got rid of the door, pulled it open, and he said the three heifers were stacked on top of each other. And of course, Junior was like, well, they're dead, you know, oh my God. And they're stacked on each other. I mean, stacking ca uh, big giant cows, I mean, you're going to need a forklift after the first one. You might have to kill and push over the first one or, or get him down there, drag him in. But putting the second one on top and third one on top, I mean, these are 1,500 pound, you know, animals. But he said that uh, the sheriff's like, you know, I don't think they're dead because look, they're still... There's still slime and stuff coming out of their nostrils. This thing's alive. He says, go get some water real quick. And he said they poured water on the one on top, and it sprang back to consciousness. And so he was like, what the hell? These things were like put in some weird stasis, and now they're, they're actually alive? Now, of course, because idiots are interviewing these people, they don't ask all the other questions. Well, was the second one alive? Was the first one on the bottom alive? Like, what'd you do with them? Like, did they, did you pull them out and did they, did they rejoin the other cows? Did they die 10 minutes later? Like, none of those stories, of course. But this dude talking seemed very legit. But he said that he 
was called out there because uh, of a mutilation. And he, he takes them out to the exact area of the field, which still has this fence. And he's pointing around. And he says, look, he goes right here. There used to be an irrigation canal for watering those fields over there. And he goes, of course, we move these all the time. They're not here anymore. But he goes, it was right here. And he goes, the cow was pointed at the ravine with his legs. And he goes, it was stripped down just like all the stories you've ever heard. Blood gone, uh, you know, mouth, eyes, and all the other stuff. But he said, over to the right over here, he's pointing, and he said, there was a huge patch of grass that was super sunk in and depressed. Now, when you go back to the Great Britain story of that castle turned into a uh, hotel, this wife of the uh, man who owned the place, who ran the place uh, when he wasn't there, she said she saw a craft land and she went out and called the police and everything to come out and take a look. And she goes, look, this thing was sunk in the ground like something super heavy was here. There's another sighting, I believe, in Texas of a police officer, a Native American police officer that uh, saw a uh, ship at the disc. He was chasing some car and then he saw what he thought was like a, an explosion off to the right. And like if something came out of the sky and it was like a bit of a discharge of energy. So he let the guy go. He was chasing and he pulls in and said he saw this weird round like egg-shaped vehicle with dudes outside that were much smaller and as soon as they saw him they went back inside their vehicle and took off and that story has all kinds of people going out and looking at the imprints in the ground which were there from the vehicle and the little footsteps of the dudes were actually in the dirt but the photos that were taken confirmed by the reporters and people there were all confiscated in all these accounts, every single one of them, where is the wholesale slaughter of human beings? As far as the cow mutilations, the Skywalker, or sorry, <laughs> Skinwalker Ranch, the, uh, the show has dramatized up a bunch of like headaches and a bunch of cell phones going crazy. It has absolutely destroyed cell phone with like a thousand cracks on it that... If you know anything about the sensory grid on the front of that thing, as soon as you crack it, you shouldn't be able to even use a fingerprint to open it up. I had a tiny hairline crack on my last phone, which is why I had to get a new one, because my fingerprint wouldn't work. It wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't work to swipe up and dial in the code. It just didn't work at all, right? So these guys are operating these horrible phones and saying, oh, look, man, it's, it's, it's opening up apps. And, the, you know, but, you know, you have an astrophysicist on the show who's like he literally uttered this comment i mean just think about the integrity of the show at this point is the phone actually unlocked itself that was the thing now the thing is we always unlock the phones to look at something and if you don't purposefully lock it back down or have a really quick timeout or click the button on the side it will stay unlocked for a split second and if this uh, this pad on the front of this completely smashed phone starts going nuts. Well, yeah, it's going to be clicking a thousand, there's a thousand little inputs going into the screen constantly. So it's just random. It's just random. But this guy said, oh, well, it went, well, one guy made the assumption, the cop made the assumption that it actually got through his encryption code. And this astrophysicist said on TV, not even the NSA could crack that phone because you can't crack an iPhone. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. So, I mean, for anyone who watches the show and believes that line, you just swallowed a big turd. For my money, 
I don't have any black and white claim from anybody that these aliens are doing anything bad to us. The vehicles that exposed people to radiation where people really got injured. I mean, these people, there's photographs from the 50s of, I think it's husband and wife, where the wife, I mean, there's families that saw some of these weird craft being escorted by helicopter. And you have um, people dying of cancer, like one, two, three, four. And other people just completely messed up for life. That may be more of our R&D, creating a vehicle and then flying it around. And then, of course, you want to have your helicopters there in case it crashes. It crashes, you're going to have to cordon off the area. Now, they never, ever crash, but they're just spewing out electromagnetic radiation for whatever reason. People are going to get injured, and then who's, who's going to get blamed for it? Well, potentially, real aliens, okay? Now, one of the scariest premises we've talked about on the show, and it wasn't scary when I first put this down, was that we are dropped off. I think there is a lot of evidence that human beings, especially the different races, with our different pigment colorings and some of our genetic differences, potentially were uh, brought and, and laid down because there is a lot of ancient cultures that just simply say, we're the people from space, or those are the people from space in our cave drawings or what have you. Uh, again, according to David Icke, that what was it? Zulu means people from space, according to the shaman that he befriended for years, for 20 years. I can't confirm that. I don't know if that's what it, what it means. You've got Aztec drawings, which looks like people laying on their backs, facing up with this incredible machine around them, right? Maybe it's not a spaceship. It looks like one. But, but what if it was some optic to look up into the sky? Why would they even build that in the first place? Like, what is this laying down thing? Because the guy's arms, I believe, in many of the sketches, are, they're, they're functional. They're doing something. It's not like a cadaver being put in a weird position to die. Okay. So, you know, the one thing about David I, I can truly respect is that he had the courage to suggest, and I'm sure he's not the first, but he's the most recent to the extent that he did, was he said, let's just look at all of the history of man and let's take it literal for a split second. Just for a split second. And what would that mean? How off base would this be of our history in looking at each other in the eye to eye and saying, okay, you're that way on this way, that's weird. If some of that stuff was literally true. Now, if you grow up in America and you don't live in a big city your whole life, and you interact with Native American belief systems, especially, well, okay, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing to do. If you have friends from different tribes, and you get into adulthood, and you maintain those friendships or gain new friendships, you will learn a lot about the Native Americans. And the, the misnomer and the giant lie is that they generally were exactly the same from coast to coast, from border to border, uh, they all believed the same thing. They were all savages, yada, 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 right? And they all died of the flu, right? Once you meet different tribe members, and I can say I've only met, well, actually, no, I met, I met a descendant of the only Shoshone tribe survivor from the Utah massacre. Uh, 
which is generally how all these people disappeared, right? History didn't record it, man. They just wholesale slaughtered everything, and there was no one there with a video camera, okay? Trust me. They have extremely different beliefs. Extremely different beliefs. It's almost as if, I don't even know how some tribes would communicate with each other beyond hi and goodbye. Because beyond those two words, their daily rituals are very different. But some tribes were gigantic, and they got a lot of history written about them, and some were really teeny tiny, and they were ornate. Some of them had shamans developed to this almost supernatural sort of alchemy level of, of ability, while bigger tribes didn't have that technology. But who sits down a Native American and says, uh, well, what do you guys think about aliens? Those questions are starting to, starting to happen today because of the internet, because of inquisitive minds, right? Now, sadly, too, a big chunk, and it's probably, I don't even know what the percentage is, but it's way over 50% of their beliefs and traditions have been lost in time. Wholesale slaughters of groups of people, they're now just fables. Like, those people existed and they're gone. Just like the pre-Incas, gone. Whoever built the pyramids, they're gone. Those people don't exist on this planet at all, okay? Maybe a drop of blood somewhere. But here's the thing. I personally have not yet encountered, okay, stories about these, uh, these preserved beliefs. A lot of them are drawings on cave walls. Uh, there's a corrosion that happens on rock. This is one of the uh, Skinwalker Ranch episodes, which is actually fairly well done. They found a rock that had some illustrations in it. And it's pretty convincing they have the Big Dipper in one of them and the constellation that is the dragon or the serpent in one, which is sort of the signal uh, for that particular tribe in Utah, which it depends on which tribe. You have either native tribes that don't move around much and you have like the Shoshones that migrated up and down according to the weather. And when the white man came in, they cut them off and then they froze to death in the northern hemisphere. They didn't have any... Shelters that were designed for snowpack, okay? So they got cut off and the Mormons went, boom, you're dead. All kinds of shenanigans, right? Blaming, you know, white people do things and blame it on them. And then they have the rationale to go over and nail them, right? But they're typically always positive interactions in these drawings. If you go down to the Peruvian uh, illustrations, you, you, you'll start getting them everywhere in Africa on the continent of Africa, you'll start getting illustrations of these beings in rocks. And there's not like, um, I mean, correct me if you've seen different and it, you don't see an alien eating a baby and like the squirty blood stuff coming out of it, or, you know, the half of the baby's gone and the feet are in the mouth. You don't see anything like that. Imagine us being fairly primitive beings on earth at that particular time, or like back a thousand years, 10,000 years, uh, Potentially, when these illustrations were occurring, we would be puppies in terms of our maturity. Not knowledge, necessarily, of course, but we'd be good people um, as long as we're not at war with a neighboring faction. But there was a lot of land and very few people, at least we think, in, these, um, in the history that's left on Earth, right? So let's transition out of the polarity conversation of good or bad. And let's end on sort of, and I've done one on alien mindsets. There's a whole episode on that. There's a whole category on deepthoughtsradio.com 
for aliens. If you like this kind of conversation, you can hear a lot of my stories over and over. I apologize, my personal experience. But the idea is if we say that aliens are actually here to help us, the question then becomes, what is their end game? And the idea is there may not be any end game until where we are becomes consumed by the universe itself. I think it is actually fairly comforting because I've heard testimony from military people that are very angry because they were told what they saw they didn't see. Some of the missile tests uh, were sliced in half by a... There was one missile test that went bad, but the original footage had a white kind of orb go around the vehicle, and one guy clearly saw you know, lasers or some sort of beam coming out of that light hitting the rocket right where it tore apart. And the footage was confiscated, and that part of the footage was literally cut out and put in a different reel. And the dude who saw it uh, kept getting told by someone who also saw, uh, saw it that he didn't see it. And he's like, look, man, he goes, I, he, I guess he was, a, if I remember right, he was a professor that had been brought in as a consultant, so he wasn't even into the military thing, but he certainly got strong-armed by them. But think about it, the missile silo deactivations globally, uh, their sudden insurgence into being sighted in the 40s, which could technically be because, if you think about it, the invention arc of man in the 40s was that big, giant Ansel Adams cameras were now becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. People could take photographs of things. Okay, The machine of the press started, you know, becoming an artery for people to report things. Plus, papers had exhausted all the narratives handed down to them from governments and what have you, and they need more stuff to fill the papers, and so they reach out to these more fringy stories, and it gets published, right? Remember, the Roswell crash was published in a military newspaper, and then they went around trying to get rid of all the newspapers. And when a radio station wouldn't let go of rereading the article and reporting about it, they pulled their FAA, FCC license. So they can't. They had no license to uh, to broadcast. I think he agreed not to do it, and they gave the license back. Plenty of evidence. So can man blow itself up? What if the aliens had a conversation with our leaders in all respective countries? And he said, "Okay, here's the thing: we're not going to allow you to use these nuclear weapons to any level of extent." Uh, you could pop one in the desert, you could pop one underground within reason, but we don't want you to ever use them against each other. This is too much. You can't build up this habit of solving your banker problems by blowing up other people. So now the government's like, okay, well, all right, well, uh, obviously there's nothing we can do to stop you turning them off. Well, can we at least threaten our people with them? Keep them in line, you know, because we have primitives out there. You know, we're the smartest people in the world in this room talking to you, obviously. And uh, they're all savages out there. What do the aliens say? It wouldn't surprise me if that conversation ever truly occurred in any form that they might say, well, all right, well, you know, you're, you're still the government of these people. We have to respect that. We have our own system of, you know, governance where we live. As long as you don't do it. We're not going to interfere with you saying it. Because what could they do to stop us, uh, the government saying that they're going to do it, right? Trying to, they're always, I mean, come on, think about it. In the last two years or three years, ever since uh, 
Grandpa Poop Your Pants became President of the United States, Mr. Child Molester, the every conflict on planet Earth has the little nuclear spin in it, doesn't it? Right? The other one I find very interesting, which I just reported on in the episode of Finding Earth, is the tremendous number of sightings around Fukushima of orbs of energy. Okay. I think it's fascinating that the Japanese people have an ancient belief about your soul turning into blue energy and rising to the heavens. It's a beautiful belief. I mean, just cosmetically, it's a gorgeous belief to account for a soul. I think the Japanese, uh, in terms of their belief systems of the afterlife, are some of the most in-tune, dominant first world countries on planet Earth. Uh, I don't know all the other countries' belief systems, but that one for sure impresses me. But now, when this Fukushima thing occurs, which is a whole conspiracy about that, there was a woman who was supposed to be the world expert in uh, radiation, radioactivity and stuff, and she, was, uh, she did a press conference, and she, she laid down some weird ultimatum of, of the severity of the moment. She said, if this particular thing happens, I'm moving my children out of the northern hemisphere of the world. Just scare, 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 scare. They have all these tanks of water that they're going to put into the ocean. According to Galen Windsor, what they need to do is create flat, open, probably cement uh, zones and splash that water down into the as thin as they possibly can and let it dissipate itself. When you put it in a container, it has its own shielding and it doesn't stop going nuts inside the container. It's, it's not a good thing. Of course, they're saying, look, we're going to dump it into the ocean and you have different chemicals, uh, different elements that are going to be the, the, the problem, like a strontium, for instance, is super heavy. If there is a huge density of strontium, you need to bury that crap four or five miles in the ground. Just dig a hole, strain the water, get the strontium out, get anything your rods were made out of out, and put that other solid stuff way down in the ground. It'll eat itself up over time. It'll be below the water mantle down there, right? But splashing into the ocean causes a problem because little crustaceans will chew that stuff up. Then bigger fish eat bigger, smaller fish, and that keeps going up to the bluefin tuna. Virtually all the tuna that you eat is bluefin tuna. And it's in your, uh, it's in your sandwich at Subway. And you're like, yum, 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 right? But now, what if they put them in these containers? I'm just making this up. It's a, it's a romantic thought, let's put it that way. And these orbs show up and go, okay, here's the deal. We're having them put in those containers, and we're just going to hover over these uh, water tanks, and basically like a holy priest, we're going to basically de-ionize all this stuff, get rid of its radioactive properties, return it to something that's definitely dilutable in the ocean. Give us some time. We'll hover over this here and there, and then we'll get rid of the threat. Or maybe it's instantaneous, or maybe there's no threat at all. Now, you might say, okay, look, there's nuclear missile sites all over the world. I grew up in central Kansas for at least three years of my life. Wichita, Kansas has, or at least had, I don't know if they still have, but they have missile sites everywhere. And you can see, because you look off the highway of any one of the roads, if you can see the land outside the city, which is a big, wide, spread out city. There's a downtown that almost nobody goes to. And then there's the other areas, Kellogg and Rock Road, that you can see these things from, but they're 
big, well, they're just like cement reliefs in the ground with these barbed wire fences around them. They might be prettier today or they might not be there. I don't know. But those were the missiles are. So if you think, if you might be asking me, look, dude, if they had this policy with the aliens not to use them and why would Russia be cut out of that policy? Everybody would get the telegram, right? Hey guys, the aliens are here and they're not going to let us use these things. So then the big question is why make them in the first place? Well, at that point, you should probably get out the Pink Floyd album, Dark Side of the Moon, and play Money for at least uh, 10 seconds. And that's probably why these things get made. Can you imagine if the agreement was made with the United States, but they hadn't been able to figure out a way to establish communication with the Kremlin? Part of it is to look at this problem and say, look, if there was a policy of no nuclear bombs, because they're going to actually turn these things off, they operate two different ways. They'll just do it and they won't tell you. They'll hit them while they're in mid-flight, not tell you, or they'll tell you. And you can make up whatever plans you want, but they're never going to be deployable because they're going to get zapped. I mean, a vehicle that can travel 8,000 miles an hour plus is not going to have any problem being, you know, Santa Claus on Christmas night. They're going to get all the packages to all the kids very easily, right? Doesn't matter how many there are on the earth, they get them all taken care of. But now would the world be a different place as we see it today if that policy was in place? Well, it would definitely mean that the strength of the relationship with them and Americans would be exactly proportional, if not more, with Russia, the other superpower that I actually believe has nuclear weapons. I'm not convinced that anyone else does. I'm not convinced at all. A big explosion in the ground could just be explosives buried in the ground. You pop it, it looks like a nuke, but it's not. And your third world country goes, we have nukes. And then, like, every, remember when India said they had nukes? Everybody stepped up to the plate. Well, we got them, too. We got them, too. We got them. China's got them. Pakistan's got them. Everyone's got them. I wanted to elaborate because I have been uh, partially mentioning the actual event, and I wasn't even aware of it. And I'm not sure how this occurred. <laughs> so the Tic Tac sighting off the coast of San Diego and the gimbal, right? You have, I have watched all the news on that, all the clips on that. I've watched a 60-minute special in Australia where they interviewed the Top Gun pilot who was the one talking on the communication with his female co-pilot, I guess navigator. Or maybe, no, maybe she was in her own jet. I, I can't remember exactly where she was. But they kept showing the images and showing the stuff. You know, it's always some horrible video, right? Like we've got these 35 million dollar planes that can shoot in crappy, crusty black and white. I mean, give me a break, right? But in this Netflix special, it suddenly changed the story. I, I can't understand how I read the articles, watch all the videos, talk to them with you guys, report it a hundred times. No one's correcting me. In Netflix, they said there was like dozens and dozens and dozens of these Tic Tacs everywhere like swarming and flying together and doing all kinds of underwater movements. Okay, well, whatever happened to the interview with the guy, he never said there was like a dozen of them here, and then all of a sudden they moved over here and they flew around our plane like swarm bots, you know, like swarm drones. I I don't understand how there's a bunch of them all of a sudden. They didn't say that about the gimbal. Why does the gimbal only have one and there's, uh, I don't know, 12 to 24 Tic Tacs flying everywhere? 
Now, of course, what they've tried to do with the Tic Tac shape, the gimbals actually in the movie uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, especially when you see, well, actually at the moment the mothership comes down, there's a few vehicles that come through first to kind of shake hands. And then there was the one Richard Dreyfus was on a hillside and uh, three vehicles fly over uh, the group of people with the hillbilly and the mother with her son. And her son says, ice cream, because of the shape of the gimbal. Now, what are the odds that that gimbal in the surveillance footage of the 2004 San Diego encounter is almost identical to the fictional ship in Close Encounters? And why haven't we heard, you know, about gimbals from the public? Uh, the only one I know that's even gimbal-like was someone said there was a, uh, a diamond, like a diamond on a card, not a diamond you put in your hand, or well, some black diamond hovering in some wilderness where these people were hiking. Another one on the Netflix special. I, I'd never heard of that one before. It looks more like the recent Hollywood movie where that ship just landed and it were just sat there while everyone kind of climbed inside and figured out how to communicate with them. So there's only one gimbal that I know of. Okay. But the Tic Tac is they've been trying to associate it with several of the sightings of the cigar shaped vehicles and uh, the guy in Texas, the police officer saw this other egg shaped thing. So legitimizing it through comparisons uh, I'm not convinced it's not military craft in a, in a giant test to see what would happen. I think what's interesting about what's going on right now is that you have these sort of Senate hearings in the United States. You have senators coming out of nowhere, Schiff's trying to clean his entire record by saying, look, I'm all on your side, guys. Uh, forget the little boys that I molest and use taxpayer money to get out of the lawsuit with. These... Center, you know, these senators are trying to cover it and expose it, but every time they have like a testimony, it's always nope, they don't exist. We don't have any craft from another um, celestial realm. We don't have any, um, or like you know, other planet. And you know, we never made contact. We don't know if there's aliens, and they just keep denying it. And then I'll sit down at a cigar lounge just like this one, and someone will turn to me and say, "What do you think about all that stuff?" And I said, "Well, did you watch it?" Yeah, I watched some of it. I watched some of it. And it's like, well, did you hear that they basically said that? It doesn't exist, that these things don't exist. They're denying everything still. And then these guys, well, no, no, that's not what they said. They said it was real. And I was like, that'd be front page news. Military claims UFOs are real. I mean, that would be worldwide news if that were to ever occur. What's disappointing is that if any other country has proof of especially creatures, the one thing you don't hear from Russia far as I know, and again, if you correct me, I would love this. If you have links to videos or suggestions, like if you want to link uh, something to, say, Rumble, you just want to put the name of the video and say it's at that R channel because they'll cut you off if you try to cut and paste one of those links. I have not heard of anyone from officially announcing. There's a lot of generals and a lot of uh, pilots and stuff that said they see all the same stuff that our guy sees. There's no lack of sightings, but there's... Definitely not someone who stepped up to the plate and go, okay, here's the thing. They're real. In 1955, we signed an agreement. They're not going to let us fire nukes. Uh, other than that, they're going to pretty much leave us alone. We are getting a little bit of tech that we're filtering out to the public, but it takes us 50 to 100 years to get that done, blah, blah, blah. 
we don't hear that. We just hear governments coming out with more citing reports, you know. But what we don't have from retired personnel is this imminent threat confirmation. You know, there's there's people out there. I know that we uh, we definitely frown on a lot of folks that reach higher levels of intelligence, but someone's got a soul in these organizations, and someone is going to be on their deathbed or they're going to be feeling their mortality and they are going to say something. They're going to say, look, here's the deal. And you know, our weird little guy confessing in his chair, reading a paper, which I don't know if there's any conspiracy that guy missed in his little deposition. Wouldn't just be that guy. Someone would take an interview. Someone would elaborate. Someone would point at experiences and say, well, that one was really bad. This whole school disappeared and we know where they went. And they, uh, so you'd have to have the proof that these kids aren't just going off like uh, close encounters, right? Where they would basically be educated and superhumans after they're done with them, right? To my knowledge, there's never been a mutilated human being where the eyes are gone, mouth is gone, butt's gone, reproductive organs are gone, and they're just sitting in their living room with no blood in them. I haven't heard that. So if, the, if they're responsible for this radiation harvesting test, then... Uh, wouldn't they be doing it to humans too? But you don't need to do it to humans because we have oncology departments that basically will drain your, your entire public or entire family savings for fraudulent cures that end up dead. And when your loved one dies, they just go, oh, they died of that thing. By the way, we'll need that mortgage to, uh, slip on that house. Uh, no one's going to college in this family because there is no money left. You better study and get scholarships, you know. And some of the heads of state of what we uh, propagate as the heads of state of science, which are usually people that are full of it, they haven't come out and said, you know, oh, well, you know, I know these things exist. These things exist. Uh, and so either everyone's buttoned up not to say anything, or they simply don't believe it exists, because a lot of these folks that get on TV that are supposedly your, your official top scientists of the world, believe me, they don't get they, enter, they don't get the invitation to be on shows, especially like sitcoms where they're warmed up to the human beings or what was it? Um, or like Zoolander 2. I think you know the guy I'm talking about. Or he goes on the um, Joe Rogan show. You know, I mean, it's always these Best Buy personalities that get the conversations going. And the second that a real human being shows up on the show... Oh, they just spend months crucifying that person for dare getting off the script, right? They like pulling in folks to take big craps on them so that you feel silly with your potentially experiences with this exact thing, you know? The Zimbabwe uh, recap on this Netflix special was very interesting for me in that you have a guy saying that he created a hoax by simply pointing at a rock and saying that nobody saw anything that they all manifested this in their brain. The pain and suffering of, of at least four of the people that are being extensively interviewed. And the other one I saw, I don't even know where the hell I saw it. It was at least six of them and they're drawing what they saw. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're so disturbed and they have suffered so many slings and arrows because they simply will not refuse uh, the, the experience that they had. But they had everything to benefit by going along with the other dude's story saying, oh, you know what? You're right. It was the rock. Yeah, I'm staring at a rock and I saw a dude who traumatized me with his eyes. My only uh, 
observation about that. If that really, if that experience really happened and those kids saw that creature and he said, you know, look, you're going to destroy the world with technology, so be careful. We have to face facts that if that occurred, that was a renegade alien who took it upon himself to communicate with that one group of kids in Africa. Maybe the conditions were right to land or whatever. Why didn't he go to Kansas? You could definitely land in a bunch of Kansas towns. You could definitely land all over the world where it's a remote school system and beam that into everyone's eyes. And then you'd have Chinese kids, Japanese kids, you know, European kids, Russian kids, American kids, African kids, South American kids. They'd all be saying, yeah, we saw this. And then, whoa, think about, the, think about it at that point where what would society do? If this story comes in from all the kids, right? It's like that X minus one episode where all the kids were playing Invasion from Mars. The parents thought it was all fake until the parents were calling each other from state to state and finding out all the kids were playing this alien invasion game at the same time and claimed that each one of the groups of kids in the United States had an alien that was telling them that this was going to occur, but they weren't going to hurt the kids. The adults were going to get wiped off the face of the planet. If you haven't gotten into X minus one, you can get all the episodes for free off of archive.org and they are just priceless, man. They're Twilight Zones, uh, three years, uh, three years of the show. The last show aired a year before the first Twilight Zone ever aired. Some of the best writers in the world wrote those scripts. Anyway, let me know what you think. And also too, uh, a lot of your alias on various communication channels, let me know if you've had any experiences. I mean, I've had incredible uh, eyewitness stories from all kinds of subject matter, from near-death experiences to seeing a loved one pass away to seeing spirits, uh, all kinds of good stuff. And it's just priceless for me to, to read your comments in that area. So if you have any experiences that complement this or anything that you've heard, I, I'm more interested in your personal experiences than hearsay. I would love to hear it. So just get into the comments and let me know. Be a gift to me. I will tell you that much. That's about all I got for this episode. Hope you dug it. It's running really long. If you haven't been to deepthoughtsradio.com, please go. Everything's up there. I am updating the thumbnails of hundreds of videos. So you're going to see the videos all go to a standard thumbnail, which is the monolith with the subject in there. So one of the big, uh, I'll just comment about this for a brief second. I've kind of crossed a, uh, a threshold with uh, AI art. One, I want to understand it more because it is, quite frankly, one of the most mind-blowing advances in technology that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. The way I'm describing it to my friends who haven't used it yet is I say, look, Dolly at least, which is part of the uh, ChatGPT back engine for image generation now, you have to understand, I've been an artist since I was nine, oil painting. I was digital artist by 14. I started drawing video games by 19. I did 3D early in my early 20s, and I've just I've been studying the algorithms, the transformational matrix algorithms since I was 18 of 3D software. I'm really good at Blender. I study CG and, and art all the time. I study it all the time. The differential in technology between prior, just prior to AI art and AI art, and I hate the way it's destroying jobs for artists, trust me. Okay, and I'm trying to understand it by using it. 
But this is about the equivalent of being um, a caveman. You haven't discovered fire yet, or maybe you've got fire and maybe the wheel, maybe. And someone comes down and says, here's the spaceship, here's the keys, just go inside and think wherever you want to go and it'll take you safely. Won't hurt anybody else either. That is the jump in technology from having no AI art to having AI art. So what I am doing, because my episodes are so esoteric, I mean, the titles of my episodes are so out there, I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these things. I have been using photographs and art online, and a lot of times you don't even know where the art comes from, and so I can't even credit an artist in this thing. So instead of stealing potentially photographs and art from people, putting them into my thumbnails, I'm regenerating all the ones that don't have thumbnails. I'm starting, I think I got season five pretty or six done. I'm working on five now. And all the most popular videos have been redone uh, from my best understanding of what's popular. And I'm using AI-generated art for the piece of art that's inside the monolith. And this is allowing me to see how the engine works when I talk to it, how it generates it. But you're talking about artwork that is, for all intents and purposes, perfectly generated. The composition is amazing. It may misunderstand what the hell I'm trying to say. It may not hit something on target. Go look at the uh, thumbnail for Ghost Cat. <laughs> if you know the episode and you see the thumbnail, your jaw's going to hit the ground. The lighting, the 3D, everything is perfect. You never see a car in the middle of a human being. You never see a face screwed up. The only thing it screws up is if it tries to put, this is bizarre, if I put the title of the episode in there and it puts, tries to put the title as a piece of wording in the uh, icon, it'll screw up the alphabet. It's like, what? Of all things, just transpose what I wrote. If you want to put it in the thumbnail and just put it there, don't spell it differently, but it, it looks like uh, it looks like dream text where it scrambles when you look at it, right? But this is a way for me not to steal from artists. And, you know, with 700 and let's say I have 750 episodes that need thumbnails, well, it would cost me at least a grand to pay an artist to do a proper piece of art for it minus a lucky first strike, but you know, it's $750,000 I don't have, right? And if there's any edits, it's going to go higher than that. So we're talking a million plus for me to put thumbnails on all my art, all my, uh, all my episodes of original artistic. If I had the money, I'd pay for it, but I don't. So I've written a tool that actually composites that thing together after I get the image. And so anyway, they're going to go to a standard coloring system. It should be really easy to see. So it also helps you generally understand. I've also got a byline now on the on the uh, thumbnails, which will help people understand sort of the metadata of what this particular episode might be about. So you have an esoteric title, but once you read the byline, hopefully it becomes more focused for you to go, well, that sounds interesting. Let's watch. Boom. And so doing a backyard in black and white. <clears throat> but anyway, to all of you who watched the episodes, thank you so much. To the PayPal and Patreon folks, thank you. Make it happen. Take care of yourself and someone else, and I'll see you in the next Deep Thoughts. Over now.